0: Welcome to WattCast. I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town. We love to gamble. It's estimated that more than 80% of American adults gamble each year. That may include everything from playing a slot machine at a casino or buying a lottery ticket at a local 7-Eleven. Some find it easy to walk away from the table, but for others those games of chance may turn into an addiction. Recent research has found that between 2.5 and 3 million adults in America suffer from compulsive gambling. That is an unstoppable need to gamble, regardless of the personal and financial toll. A recent decision by the US Supreme Court, which has opened the way for sports betting in most states, has many experts concerned that we may see even more people develop gambling problems. Marlene Warner is board president for the National Council on Problem Gambling and the executive director of the Massachusetts Council on Compulsive Gambling. You will want to hear what she has to say. Marlene, thank you so much for being here with us today. Sure, no problem. I'm happy to do it. On May 14, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down a 1992 federal law that effectively banned commercial sports betting in most states. Are you concerned that legalizing sports betting may lead to an increase in those who are addicted to gambling? So let me say, first
1: of all, that, that this, um, just for your listeners to understand, that this is a huge, huge deal, that this is something that we had been anticipating for a long time, didn't know how this would work, and um, and it came as a bit of a surprise that it happened uh, that this Monday morning in May. Um, it is of concern when you expand gaming and we don't know anything about it. And it's, it's, it's the most concern is that right now we're just not sure how it's going to be regulated state by state. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether you're looking at Connecticut or Massachusetts or Rhode Island or, or anywhere outside of New England, I think the biggest concern is how is this going to work? And is each state going to define it the same way? Are they going to regulate it the same way? Are they going to tax it the same way? these all have really severe implications for um, people with gambling disorder. And the reason for that is because some states are really um, responsible out of the gate and really think about how this will impact the citizens and other states are not, and they're just looking for the bottom line to increase their bottom line. So that is of grave concern to me. I will say that in general, prevalence numbers when we introduce new types of gaming um, in terms of opening a new casino... Uh, opening a new lottery game uh, things like that you don't see a dramatic increase in gambling problems but there are certainly harms involved and it's most harmful typically for the people who are already struggling with gambling problems or are at high risk for gambling problems so we want to continue to very much monitor and pay attention to those those people and their issues um, right. so that's a, a long answer but certainly something mm-hmm. that I'm I'm concerned with on
0: a number of levels right exactly well you know we all love sports so many people participate in sports and now there's a lot of this fantasy sports uh, that goes on so is that a concern i mean could people that are involved in the fantasy sports thing quickly you know jump over to sports betting with with this uh, opening the gates
1: again we we don't we don't know what we don't know in the sense that this is the first time it's it's the question of legality has even come up Um, but sports gambling and daily fantasy sports certainly have a ton in common, and the daily fantasy sports, in particular, the Boston-based DraftKings, is uh, you know not making you know it's not quiet about the fact that they would love to uh, be able to now offer sports gambling, and so absolutely those a lot of those same players are going to move over to sports gambling, and you know the other issue is just how this whole arena has changed. So it used to be that you would bet on whether the you know, the Red Sox were going to win or the Yankees were going to win. Now it's, you know, is the pitcher, what type of pitch is the pitcher going to win? Are they going to um, balk up at, on, on the mound? And are they going to, you know, they bet on everything. And so I right. think it's, it's the um, how rapid the gambling is, how um, uh, the, the stakes at which uh, they're gambling, there's a lot of factors uh, involved here. So I think that that's an important piece to think about as
0: well. How many people nationwide does your organization estimate to be addicted to gambling?
1: So, um, you know, nationwide, I don't have that number, but I will tell you in terms of the percentage, um, we typically say somewhere in the range of two to three percent of people have the most severe type of gambling disorder. So there's the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders. And they estimate that people with the clinical definition of that, the clinical gambling disorder, are somewhere in the range of 2 to 3%. Um, and that's uh, over a lifetime, somewhere around 1% to less than 1% will have it in the, the past year. Um, people with a high, the, the much higher number um, is folks who uh, have are at some risk, have some risk associated with it, or having... Um, problems, but they're subclinical, meaning they don't have five or more of the, the diagnostic criteria. And that number is somewhere in the range of four um, to six percent in addition to um, the two uh, to three percent. So, you know, folks often say, well, those aren't very big numbers. But when we look at a lot of other mental health disorders that have, um, you know, lots of attention um, and, and decent amount of funding, um, this, this really pales in comparison. There's currently not a single um, penny that goes towards a gambling disorder at the federal level. Mm.
0: Are men more susceptible than women?
1: Um, so men have
0: traditionally been known to be more susceptible. I will say that
1: you'll see now in treatment and helpline on calls, um, calls for help, uh, women, you know, equality has won out here in terms of women um, currently are calling the interesting thing we know about men and women is that um, men will have the problem for longer and, and it takes longer for them to reach out for help. Hmm. Women tend to gamble later and in, later in, into their lives, um, and, um, but the problems can ramp up, ramp up much um, faster and they're more likely to reach out for help sooner than men are.
0: Are we seeing more young people addicted to gambling?
1: Um, so they tend to be situational. Uh, you know, we certainly see more access and, um, that is of some concern. Uh, but you know, college students have pretty high rates of gambling disorder, but then you see that they, um, they leave the college arena or the college uh, environment and those problems go down. Uh, high school students are of some concern, um, in terms of what they can gamble on because it tends to be illegal and, and not regulated. Right. So they, You know, people don't even think about it, but if you're playing a poker game in the basement of your house with your friends, someone's taking a cut or, um, uh, you know, there's money being exchanged at all, that's technically illegal gambling because it's not being regulated. Um, But uh, those are the type of things that we get concerned about, filling out football squares or um, throwing dice in the hallways. These are things that high school students are doing, but technically they're not legally allowed to gamble until they're 18 and can play the lottery.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know we talk about where drug addiction is concerned you know gateway drugs do you look at gambling that way I mean are these college students that are throwing dye in their uh, dorms or fraternity or in sorority houses are they going to uh, you know graduate to uh, more hardcore games you know folks talk about this a
1: lot and some folks will talk about you know that people started with scratch tickets and then moved on to slot machines. Um, But really, if you talk to people with gambling, and and so there's really not good research out there to to verify that there indeed is a a gateway type of gambling that will lead you to further problems. Mm -hmm. Um, And and people for whom gambling has been a problem in their lifetime will tell you that some of them could play to this day, that even though they've been in recovery, they could play a different type of game because that wasn't their, their game. Their their specialty with slot machines, they they could scratch a ticket or play a Powerball ticket and they would have been fine. Um, So it really depends on the individual is is my general sense. And again, we don't have great research to tell us whether there is something that um, draws folks in more than others.
0: Is there a personality type that's more susceptible to becoming addicted to gambling?
1: So people often talk about the addictive personality. You know, we don't really subscribe to that. I think it's, it's hard. Um, but I think that there are a lot of factors in one's life that can lead them to um, using this as a coping device. And, but it's addiction is addiction is addiction. And I think this is oftentimes a hard, hard thing for folks to understand. And so it's often kind of in that crucial time when there was a loss or there was a struggle or there was um, a mental health issue, and someone um, put a drink in front of you or you uh, were invited to come gamble or um, there was an opportunity to do drugs, that often in that moment is is what contributes to be addicted to that thing. Um, So the syndrome model of addiction um, would say no, there's not uh, necessarily just an addictive personality. It's kind of a a smattering of different things that happen all at once. It's the perfect storm and uh, can draw people in.
0: Is there a socioeconomic factor involved here? I mean, are people who, uh, you know, gamble because they need the money uh, more susceptible than someone who might be financially comfortable?
1: Certainly, um, you know, gambling uh, addiction knows no boundaries. Um, But we do see, you know, if you have nothing to lose and everything to gain, um, you're going to be more likely to take a risk. Uh, so we see high rates of gambling disorder among the homeless population. Hmm. And I often say, if you have a dollar, are you more likely to buy a scratch ticket to hopefully get yourself out of the scenario or buy, you know, a cookie for a dollar? Hmm. Well, most people are going to buy that scratch ticket. Um, and
0: that kind of makes sense. Do you put these different uh, forms of gambling in different boxes? I mean, are there, is there more of a concern over, uh, you know, casino gambling or the lottery or online poker, or is there no difference with, you know, how a, a person gets pulled into this and, and eventually becomes addicted?
1: So we certainly talk about, you know, all gambling is, gambling's a, a risk. Um, there's no gambling that's not a risk-free activity. All gambling has risks by inherent, you know, in the, Definition of it, right? Mm -hmm. It's a risk, um, a risky activity. Um, But there are certainly low risk versus high risk. So you know, folks don't always think about playing a raffle or bingo as gambling, but it certainly indeed is. Um, And so, but those tend to be low risk. We're not getting called because primarily because there's not high action involved, and there's not typically high stakes involved. It's not to say that people don't get in trouble with those, but it's very rare. And it's often in combination with other things. The higher risk games, where you can put a lot of money down and it's very quick action. So a slot machine where you can be betting multiple lines, multiple reels, and um, you can do so um, consistently, uh, you know, kind of in perpetuity. You can just keep gambling. Um, That's of some concern for folks um, where you can scratch tickets just as fast as your fingers can run through them. That can be a very high-risk type of gambling. Mm -hmm. Gambling online, um, when you're playing casino games or other types of games online, uh, those can be very, uh, very high concern. And certainly a lot of these games also, the things they share in common are not just the high action and the high stakes, but that you can gamble without any money associated with it. So you can use your debit card or your credit card or online where it feels like you're not even gambling with your own money. Um, It's just credits, and and, and that can be true in the casino, too, when you're using a player's reward card. So these are things that kind of disassociate people from reality and allow them to um, forget uh, that they're really risking a lot.
0: Well, certainly technology and, you know, uh, being able to gamble online or even with a smartphone – did you see, do you see spikes in, in um, gambling problems uh, because of that? I mean, online poker and now with the sports betting, I'm assuming that anyone with a smartphone can probably get involved in this.
1: So technically right now in the U.S., um, so again, there's there's not a federal law as it relates to, to gambling um, um, now that this has been struck down. Um, so it's a state-by-state state issue, and so some some lotteries can have gone online. Some states, um, uh, two I think, have uh, online access to casino games. Um, but it's really specific state-by-state state and regulation for regulation. Um, but we don't see that. And that is actually one of the concerns is that because most of the online gambling that happens is through servers that are offshore and primarily in the Caribbean um, – it's not regulated. It's not easily researched. It's not easy, it's easily tallied. We don't really know what the patterns are. We have some sense of things because we've seen data that has come out of Europe and other places. Um, and again, what we ex- expect in a, any type of gambling is that we're going to see this exposure adaptation model happen where people are exposed. You might see a slight bump in increased activity and increase in. Um, problems, Mm -hmm. but eventually people adapt. The people who really want to play are going to keep playing, and everyone else, the novelty will wear off and they'll move on to something else. Um, But, you know, to your point, I think that the the mobile devices, technology allows um, rapid play, and that is of some concern. The nice thing about mobile um, technology, though, as it relates to gaming, is there's a lot more mechanisms that can be put in place versus a brick-and-mortar and being sort of selling scratch tickets or brick-and-mortar casino. So you are able to um, allow people to put a time limit on. You're allowed to put a, um, a spend limit on. You're allowed to do a lot more things. You have a lot more options when you're um, gambling, offering a gambling um, uh,
0: product online. Mm-hmm. So Marlene, how does a, a gambling hobby, so to speak, become a gambling problem?
1: Well again, very individual for folks, so I think that one of the important things to think about is um, are you at high risk? So lots of people gamble most people gamble in fact, you know we have um, somewhere in the range of seventy five to eighty percent of people in the United States uh, will gamble in in the next twelve months um, and again, that can be anything from buying a scratch ticket to playing in a raffle, going to a casino, playing a few you know rounds of the slots and they want to see a show, so lots of people gamble, and it's it's for entertainment, and and that could be fine. What um, what we see is that folks who are at high risk, so whether it's an economic issue as we talked about earlier, whether it is a loss, people who have lost time or relationships for whatever variety of reasons, um, people for whom they hit big early on tends to be a really big risk factor. So if I didn't spend much time, money, or effort going into uh, a casino and I, you know, hit a jackpot, um, and that jackpot, again, is all really relative in terms of what it could mean to one individual over another, but I hit a jackpot that was meaningful to me, and I think now I've done something really special or cool or smart, I think that I'm a winner, right? They literally tell me on the machine I'm a winner, and so I think I can do that again. Mm. And so people who hit early on, um, tend to fall pretty quickly. Mm. Um, we also see just in general, uh, some of the things we really value in life, um, are, can be also to our detriment. So people who are highly competitive, people who like that action and that thrill and that, um, uh, you know, like to get the, the, uh, serotonin or the, uh, dopamine, um, pumping. Um, so they, that adrenaline will keep all that moving as they're gambling. And so those are the things that, um, keep them going back. And so people, just like just like with alcohol and drugs, will build a tolerance. And so um, repetition or um, it, it access and participation also can drive you to doing that. So sometimes folks will say, I just used to go along with my friend, and then I started playing, and then um, I kind of got interested and excited and hooked, and, um, and then it, it just kept happening. And so if you're going to the casino every day, it's likely you're going to... Um, you know, end up with a problem because it's, it's kind of hard not to if you're actively
0: participating in it. Mm-hmm. So now the the National Council on Problem Gambling doesn't take a position for or against legalized gambling. Uh, is it difficult to remain objective when those who work in your organization see what addiction can do to individuals and families?
1: You know, it's not in the sense that the best way, the best way for us to... Um, the great advocates for those who struggle is to remain neutral. And, and that is because being anti is not going to be useful in the sense that we you know lots of people can gamble without a problem. And so to be against something that most people can do um, help in a healthy way for themselves seems contrary to to the purposes of our organization. And then to be pro gambling certainly is not helpful. So the neutral stance is really useful because we can have all stakeholders around the table And we can be strong advocates. And, um, I mean, we certainly hear a lot of sad cases, but we also, I think, are trying to move in a direction where we're getting a lot more policies and procedures in place that are going to prevent a lot more problems from happening, a lot of programs that will intervene earlier than they used to. So I think we are um, doing right by the people who are at high risk and who have struggled in the past.
0: What are the resources that the council offers to those who need help?
1: What are the resources we offer? A 24-hour helpline. Um, so nationally, the helpline is one 4700 And so, if you are in uh, the state of Kansas, you're going to get the local Kansas resources. You know, versus if you call in, um, you know, Nebraska, you're going to get you're going to get Nebraska's resources. So that is one of the main uh, pieces. You also can chat online, and you can do that through. Um, uh, going on to the website, which is ncpgambling.org, and I'm um, getting connected to resources in your local area. And so there's treatment, there's prevention, there's recovery assistance, there's a lot of different um, options in terms of getting the help that you need, whether you are, are directly impacted with a gambling problem, you're a family member or loved one of someone with a gambling problem, or you are um, a professional for whom uh, gambling comes into your, uh, into your work and you need to pay more attention to that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that you have an annual conference, and this year's is coming up in July in Cleveland. What is the purpose right. of the conference, and who should attend?
1: So the conference is really a nice mixture of folks. The conference uh, typically is somewhere between five to six hundred people there, and there's um, the main group of folks that go are clinicians uh, and mental health professionals, people who really want to know more about how to treat people with gambling disorder and those who might be at high risk for gambling disorders, folks who have other mental health issues and or uh, drug and alcohol problems. Um, but in addition to that, there are community organizers there, there are preventionists there, there are uh, casino and lottery industry there, and then there's a lot of advocates, uh, folks like myself and another two run advocacy organizations related to um, prom gambling or responsible gambling. So it's a nice mixture of folks, and it really allows for um, – learning a lot of the current research and science around um, this, but also um, having an opportunity to network and connect with people and hear what you know the models are that are happening um, elsewhere. It's, it's a nice way to advance the field.
0: Marlene, what do you say to someone who is addicted and is reluctant to seek help?
1: So the first thing I would say is you're not alone. Lots of people think that they're, they're the only person who's ever dealt with this, and that's just not the case. And lots of people are out there who can help you. And so please reach out, um, even if you're ambivalent, not sure whether you want to stop family or not. There are a lot of ways that people can um, make small changes without totally stopping and reduce their harm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key piece. You don't have to hit rock bottom in order to stop and start to help yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're not alone, and we're here to help.
0: And what about family members? What can they do to help?
1: So family members are, are often hard, and we, we talk to them all the time. And family members are a really key piece because what they need to do is really get themselves in order in terms of what do they need to keep themselves safe in terms of legal ramifications, um, financial ramifications, get themselves and themselves in order, and then be able to offer help to the individual who's struggling. Because what we like to say is, know, that person dealing with something, the person who's impacted by the gambling disorder is dealing with something, and they've found a way to cope. They're gambling. But it's the family member who's calling and struggling and upset and worried and um, who's really dealing with pain. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's help you manage that pain and get yourself to a healthier spot, and then you'll be in a better position to help them, your loved one.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, Marlene, thank you so much. This is so interesting and I think will be so helpful. And anyone that wants more information can go to your website. That's ncpgambling.org. Um, and That's we, right. And, and we wish you good luck on your uh, conference coming up in July. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time. And I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Women Around Town, and you've been listening to WattCast. Thanks for listening.